Hey, Kingfield family. Thanks for tuning in to this platform with us on Anchor.fm or whatever platform you were choosing to listen to your podcast on. These are going to be collections of our Coach's Corner, Coach's Talk with coaches, community members, and other friends within our network and the Kingfield family. So, Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Please, if you want us to bring anything or anyone on, reach out to Danny at CrossFitKingfield.com. Send your suggestions, comments, and we hope to bring more and more fun, more and more connection, and more and more value to you here on this platform. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Awesome. Well, Leah, thanks for joining us today. Um, You know, I thought we could use this time to kind of – hi, Sasha. To kind of just highlight – Maybe a little bit of your story, because I, I think that it's you found over the years that we've um, worked together and that you've been at Kingfield and even prior to that, that um, there is a synergy in endurance sports um, or within endurance sports and, and strength and conditioning. And when you kind of find the right balance between those, you can be successful. So maybe you could just start off by uh, introducing yourself and then kind of telling everybody about uh, maybe your background with sports and things like that and how you found Endurance sure. sports. Uh, well, my name is Leah Kierdat, and I have been an endurance sports athlete for probably 10 years. Um, I come from a swimming background. Um, I don't have quite the same swimming background that Lindsay does, uh, but that was my first sport. Um, I was on the swim team when I was six, uh, and then um, played various sports. I was a uh, jack of all trades, master of none kind of person. I just did a bunch of different things, tried out a bunch of different things throughout high school. Uh, and then after college in 1999, I did my first triathlon, which was a sprint distance triathlon. So it was a 400 meter swim, a 15 mile bike and a three mile run. I was 23, I think. And I looked at the distances and said, I don't need to train. I'm just going to go do it. And so I did and promptly got buried on the bike um, because I didn't really know anything about biking or how to bike um, other than to stay upright on my bike. And, uh, and so it was really bad. (laughs) Like my first triathlon experience was not great. Um, And then I just did a couple triathlons a year after that. Um, actually training for them. And then in 2009 is when I first did my first like long distance triathlon. So um, yeah, so that's kind of how so it's back to that first triathlon, like at what point in the race, like kind of what was like the stages of your thinking? Was it like, Oh yeah, not so bad. And did like, what was that monologue? Like if we, sure. had, if you got to. Um, so coming from a swimming background, I, swam the crap out of that 400 meters. Um, I hadn't really been swimming. Um, I stopped swimming in high school uh, and hadn't really swam since then. So it had been a good eight years since I had done any swimming. Was passing people in the waves in front of me and I was like, yeah, I'm crushing it. This is gonna be great. And then I got out of the water and instantly was like, oh, that was a bad idea. Like that was a really bad idea because I don't, I don't feel very good. Uh, and then I got on my bike, which was a mountain bike, um, and just started, you know, riding along. I don't think I changed gears at all. Cause like, I didn't really understand like gearing and how to use it. And then it was a women's triathlon. And at one point 
this, and you know how, if in triathlon, you get your age written on the back of your leg. So like if someone passes you, you know how old they are because their age is written on their leg. Um, this woman who was 75 passed me on her bike. I was like, you're doing really good. And I was like, oh my God, what is happening right now? Um, but I made it through the bike, got off, ended up having to walk the entire run because I just was just depleted. Um, and I, th all I thought to myself during the three miles was if I ever, if I ever do one of these again, I probably should train for something. <laughs> and then that was, I pretty much hated life during the three miles, but I got, I have this ability to like not stop. Even if everything goes to crap, I, I don't know. I will just keep going. I might be the last person out there, but I will, I won't stop. So that's awesome. Yeah. So now fast forward to the world of coaching. How many people do you start working with who have like a similar kind of, you know, like introduction to triathlons or endurance sports or race distances as such? Is that a pretty uh, commonplace story? Uh, not in triathlon, mostly okay. because of the swim. So okay. most people who, um, so I run a coaching company. So I have people that I coach one-on-one, -on -one, but then I also have like a club where we offer group workouts and most of the people come to the group workouts for the swim because they, um, 90% of the people who sign up for a triathlon have little to no swim background. And so that like freaks them out. So most people are light years ahead of where I was for my first triathlon because, because of the swim. So, okay. So now when, if you were to do a race now, what is your approach versus what it was? Has that changed over time? Like, you know, like what is, how, like how you conceptually think about it, you know, like tell us, walk us through that process, the decision from like, I think I want to do an event to like, you finish the event. Um, so it kind of depends on the distance of an event. Um, if I'm doing a sprint distance now, uh, which would be that same distance that I did for my first one, I don't really train anymore um, because I've usually done so much training for other events leading up to it. I don't really necessarily have to focus specifically to train for that event. Um, I go into sprint distance triathlons now. It's fun. Um, it's like a good way to hang out with my friends. It's a good workout for a little over an hour. It's just kind of a, a fun day. Okay. Uh, if we're talking longer distance, half iron or iron distance, that one requires a little bit more forethought, um, which race you're going to pick, why, um, and then anywhere from six to eight months of training for that event specifically. Uh, and then, um, especially iron distance, you have to have a lot of mental tools in your toolbox to, cause it's a long day and at some point during the day you're going to think why did i sign up for this and i don't want to do it anymore so for those of us that don't know do you want to give us a distance on like a half iron and a full iron man distance? sure so a half iron man distance is a 1.2 mile swim a 56 mile bike and a 13.1 mile run so it totals 70.3 miles and then the full iron man is 2.4 mile swim 112 mile bike and a 26.2 mile run. So 140.6 total miles. Do you have a preference one way or another? Like, cause they seem like they would be both very different experiences. They are. Um, I prefer the, the full 
Um, the half iron distance is nice in the fact that obviously you're done sooner. Um, so you kind of have like your day still around. Um, but it's a, it's a much more competitive distance um, as far as like pacing. Um, so you have to, um, it's just a little bit, I don't know. It's a, you have to go a little faster. I, I prefer long and slow. <laughs> That's kind of my motto. So I might always, be fast, but I can keep going. <laughs> so from a coaching perspective, um, I'm always interested when talking with coaches because I think if you've been in this game long enough, you kind of know that when someone asks like, what's the right protocol or how do I approach something? Or what do you think the best squat, you know, like, you know, program is for me. And like, I think when we're new in the game, we kind of can pull a couple tools out of our box that we've experienced, we're familiar with, but as you've been in it a while, the non-sex answer is it depends. So do you feel like for yourself as an athlete, there's kind of like the way you prepare, and you train because you've experienced so many races and does that differ from how you would coach other athletes or are there things that are similar I mean how do you kind of differentiate between that like you being an athlete and you being a coach oh sure um so me being an athlete um obviously I know very well what my strengths and weaknesses are and so like where I need to spend a little bit more time kind of focusing. Um, a lot of uh, people that talk to me about coaching for, especially for like longer distance, um, in the past have spent more time doing the thing that they're already good at and less time doing the thing that they're not good at. Um, so for example, runners uh, will spend a lot of time running and not enough time swimming and biking. Um, and so you have to train the thing that you're not that's not your kind of sport um, to be proficient, but also keeping in mind that you do have to be proficient at all three. Um, and then also, I think people think you need to train a lot, like 20 hours a week to do an Ironman or something. And um, if you're a professional athlete, yeah, you might be training 20 hours a week, but most people, on average train 10 to 12 hours a week with like a big week of like 15 hours of training. And a lot of that is on the bike. So um, I think a the misconception is that more is better and not just more is more. Um, and so I think from a coaching standpoint, that's the hardest thing to get people to understand is that you don't have to give up your life to train for a long distance event. So you, you mentioned that now you kind of your view on like sprint distances, like, Oh, this is really fun. And for some people that could be like, how this is like, how is this really fun? Like, this is just a, you know, such a, a tough event. And, and two, you're mentioning that like with, you know, how you approach your Ironman or your, you know, your 70.3 or, or the full distance, you know, there's other faculties and other, you know, mindset tools that are needed do you find that in order to have sustained longevity in the sport you have to be realistic about about your training and and then that actually has to kind of like influence what your expectation is for performance for that race because like you said not everybody has not everybody's a professional athlete not everybody has the time to train so um 
from a coaching perspective, do you ever, you know, as the race gets closer, try to kind of bring people down to reality or how do you approach that conversation with people? Uh, yeah. So usually when I um, initially meet with a client, um, they are coming to me because they have a specific race that they're training for. Um, and we initially talk about what their goals might be at that time. So like, let's say it's eight months out from the said race and maybe their goal is to finish cross the finish line feel good yippee skippy um usually that goal will change as we start to get closer to the race um sometimes people have very lofty um goals they maybe they've done a half iron distance and they finished in five and a half hours and they're like oh so that means i can do an ironman in 11 hours or less like they basically just double the time and they say because it's double the distance like I, that's how it works right that's how it works now science works that's actually really not how it works um and so you know we have to have those kind of conversations about what that looks like um if that is actually their goal and um what to expect from their training uh most people i find underestimate their abilities um versus overestimate their abilities so that's interesting all of the time i have to be like no i think i think you'll do better than you think you will uh, yeah. so so what is kind of like the lifespan what do you think like the average career length can you be a career uh you know recreational endurance athlete or do you feel like I it's can. finite amount of time uh part of it is your mindset um I look at, um, I can't compare almost 45 year old Leah to 23 year old Leah because that it's not, I'm not the same person anymore. Um, I, I might actually be better at some things than I used to be, but I am now almost 45. So, um, there are certain things that I'm just not going to be as fast anymore. And so I look at my, um, times, per my age group. So in triathlon, they group you into five-year age groups. So like 40 to 44, 45 to 49, 50 to 54. So like you're grouped together. So like I kind of look at my goals based on that age group. So like this year I'm aging up into a new age group. So any, any time I get is going to be a PR because I haven't raced in this age group yet. So it's all new and it's all going to be better. And and it's kind of like a new starting point. I think if you are a person that compares yourself to um, your past self, uh, you will struggle a bit uh, when you realize that like that's that's actually not physically possible anymore. Um, and then also, as you get older, you have to adjust your training to incorporate more recovery, um, and it can't all be the same type of training. So a lot of um, younger athletes can get away with really high volume, lots of miles on the bike, lots of miles running. Um, and as you get older, your body can't recover as well from that, that kind of volume. And so you have to change how you train. So you maybe do fewer miles, but at a higher intensity. Um, so, and then also, the strength training portion is also super important, I think, for longevity in this sport. 
So let's talk a little bit about that because that tends to be a little bit, um, and as of you and I have experienced in working with athletes, is the buy-in for the strength aspect is, is challenging because I think there's a, there's a misperception um, that if I lift weights, I'm going to be sore for my run, therefore I won't be able to keep up my paces. Or if I lift weights, I might be too tired for my bike. Or if I lift weights, I want to, I have a, I have a, you know, I'm going out to do my endurance work afterwards and that's going to affect that. So it, it's been my experience. And I think we've seen sometimes that it's really a hard sell to get people to understand, um, why strength training would be beneficial, but for yourself, let's talk about you specifically, where have you noticed, um, that, that addition of working in the gym, um, show up in your races or your training? Um, well, first of all, I just think it makes you a, uh, for a lack of a better word, sturdier athlete. Um, you are going to be less prone to injury, especially, um, biking and running are move, you know, movements that happen on the same plane all the time. And if you only ever work in this plane and then you have to step to the side, you know, and all of a sudden you like threw your knee out because you aren't used to moving laterally or those kind of things. Um, I think that's super important to make sure that you're maintaining um, like kind of total body strength for just your life in general, but also um, when you need to, especially like for example, a sprint distance triathlon, um, when I need to go fast, I have some stronger muscles that have been built by moving them in a way with weights that allows me to then move myself faster. Um, put more power behind the pedals, put more power off the ground, those kind of things. And then, um, I mean, really the number one thing with triathletes, well, endurance athletes in general is you know, injury prevention, you want to get to your race feeling good. And if you don't do any strength training, the likelihood that you're going to injure yourself increases. Do you find that endurance athletes are interested in understanding the biomechanics of things, or do they just kind of want to be like, just tell me what to do and I'm going to do it? Um, it's two camps. Um, you have your, um, triathletes that I, I would call them like data nerds and they're the ones that want the data on like not only their endurance training, but like also the biomechanics of everything else that you might be putting in. Why am I doing this? How is this going to help me? All those other things. And you know, it's fun to have conversations with those kinds of athletes. And then you have the athletes that are like, I don't care why, just tell me what to do and how many times to do it. And cool. Yeah. They, they want to coach so that they don't have to think about it. So it's, it's, I would say it's pretty 50, 50. I mean, from your perspective, do you feel like, um, replicating the intensity, like, cause I think there is a misconception that endurance sports are just completely aerobic and it's just, you know, long, slow distance and things like that. But I mean, as you've experienced in, um, you know, many long, you know, endurance events, if you have rolling hills on the bike, you're going to be very anaerobic throughout yeah. that portion of the race. And so therefore understanding intensity and how to do that is in, in kind of the things you say to yourself almost as what's going to make or break you. Right. Because if you're completely taken back by 
oh my gosh, I've never felt this before. You're probably not willing to sign up for multiple more hours, you know, to complete this race. Right? Well, yeah, and that's the thing is like when you, you know, people always think like, oh, okay, so I'm doing an Ironman distance triathlon. And like, let's say the bike portion, I am averaging 75% of my total capacity on the bike. Okay. Averaging. That doesn't mean I'm sitting at 75% for seven hours. It like I am sometimes at 60% or less because I'm flying down some hill. And sometimes I might like 150% because I'm climbing a 12% grade hill for two minutes. And so if you only ever train this way forever, yeah, you, you might have the ability to go like really long and slow forever, but that's not, that's not, I don't, I've never done a race that has me just being like, yeah, cool. I'm just going to hang out here for the entire time. It's, it is that up and down. And if you don't train that up and down, even with weight training, intensity training, sprint intervals on the bike, sprint intervals on the run. Um, if you don't have that in your basket from like your training, when it comes to you at the race, you kind of won't know what to do with it. Like you won't be able to process it physically or mentally. So what, what do you think um, from your experiences, you know, you talked about mindset, but like, why is that so important in endurance sports? Um, it's, especially once you get past anything that lasts like two hours, once you, you kind of get past that point, there's, there's going to come times where something's hurting or something's really hard or all the things. And you're, you're going to question why you're even doing this thing in the first place. Um, and I think sometimes people have the misconception that you have to have this like, Oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to do great. It's going to be fine. Da, da, da. And you don't have to have that like sunny Pollyanna personality all the time. I think it's super important to kind of acknowledge the crappy feelings when they happen. Why am I feeling this? Is it something I can fix right now? Like if I'm climbing a 12% grade, yeah, there's not much I can do about it. It's just going to suck, but there's the top of the hill. I just have to get to the top of the hill. It's going to be fine once I get to the top of the hill. Um, do I need more nutrition? Can I, you know, there's different times where you have, you have control over it. And there's other times where you don't have control over it. And then the times when you don't have control over the situation, you kind of have to know why you're there. You have to be able to answer that question to, to then get past it and then move, like move on. You have your pity party and you cry, 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 and then you move on. So do you think that establishing that why is really, really important for each race? You know, like this yes. event, I this is why I'm doing it. Okay. Yes, and it can't be because all my friends signed up for it. Totally, right? Because no your one... friends aren't going to be with you at that moment. You might do all of your training with your friends and they help you through your really hard workouts, but in the race, they're probably not going to be by you. And you have, you have to know why you're there. And it can't just be because my friends talked me into signing up for this. So. so if we take this from a training perspective in talking about this idea of intensity, do you feel like it's important for athletes to experience kind of like the high ranges, but also sometimes kind of overshooting the mark and then being like, I blew up a little bit. Do you feel like that is valuable on race day? 
I think it's huge. I think you need to know where the bottom is. Like I went so hard that I literally had nothing left so that when, if by chance in a race, you start to approach that point, you can be like, okay, I need something has to change. I have to slow my pace down. I have to something, something will have to change. Cause I know that the bottom is coming and I'm going to have a hard time getting out of that. If I, if I don't make that adjustment, if you haven't been there, you don't know what that feels like. Yeah. You won't know what to do with it when it comes. So when we talk about now, if we bring this idea into strength and conditioning, at least in our world, in my world specifically with like weightlifting and CrossFit, like there is the concept of overload, right? And so if you're working in a periodization model, you bring people up and then you get them to the top and then you, you almost are going to, you know, peak them, get them over, you know, and, and kind of just monitor and see how things are going and then bring them back down and then bring them back up. And it kind of follows that process. I would assume endurance sports are just like the functional fitness world, just like weightlifting that year over year, it's really hard to see a trajectory that continues in an upward trend. Do you find that that just isn't the case with endurance sports? Um, it kind of depends on the, the athlete. Somebody who has been in endurance sports for a long time is going to see less big change over the years because the the gains just aren't going to be as as great whereas someone who's newer to the sport over a couple you know anywhere from two to five years might see like oh look I'm, I'm getting better and better and better but at that some point that's it is going to level out and in, in endurance training is very similar you know you might do f like four weeks of building and then kind of drop off just a little bit and then you build again for another four weeks and you do that for four cycles and then you have like a big like you either have your big event or you like come back down and you kind of start back down towards the bottom and build yourself back up so it isn't a if I'm training for a year for an event it isn't just this like to the event it's like up and down and then back up and then back down and then hopefully you are ready to peak at your so if you kind of plateau after that two or five year period as a coach, um, what's your kind of go to? I mean, because I'm sure you hear things all over the board, like people start looking in better, better gear, which in some cases gear has, uh, you know, a succinct advantage. Um, but like, what is your, if someone comes to you and they're, they're kind of out of sorts and they've definitely plateaued, how do you investigate first what's going on? And then how do you create a path moving forward? Um, well, to kind of figure out what's going on, um, I, I try to look at like their, because most people don't coach with me year round. They'll coach with me for like a block, six to eight months of time. And then they take some time off and then they come back. Um, so I'll kind of look over training logs from the past to kind of see what's been happening in the last six to eight months that maybe is leading to that plateau um maybe it's like too much long slow endurance and not enough intensity or maybe it's too much intensity and not enough long slow um so we might make adjustments that way uh we might look at adding in some shorter dis especially longer distance athletes adding in some shorter distance and focusing on trying to be fast 
for that shorter distance versus being okay at longer distance, right? Maybe we take a season where your goal for this season is to just try to be as fast as you can for 90 minutes, right? Um, and a lot of times just the change in the distance of race or the type of racing um, can help people kind of get past that plateau of, well, I have, you know, this is Ironman number 11 and I just kind of feel like I'm in a meh. Uh, so, it kind of it kind of depends on the athlete a little bit, but most of the time it's just they're kind of stuck in a rut, a training rut usually. Um, nice. Yeah. So you have an interesting way of how you approach um, each event within a race, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that because um, if you're going to do like a, a half distance Ironman or a full distance. Does the way you look at the bike, the swim and the run, do those change? Do you have different pace times you want to set or do you, are they similar? How do you do that? Um, and how do you kind of like set a game plan for each of those? Cause in and of them themselves separate, those are still tremendous athletic feats. Now do them back to back to back. You, you've really got to have a game plan for all three, you know, best case scenario, worst case scenario and, and one that goes all the way through. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so when I personally approach um, coming up with a race plan, and I do write a race plan for every race that I do, I actually like type up um, like what time I'm going to get up, what I'm going to eat, when I'm going to go to the race venue. Um, and I have pacing goals for each portion as a like best case scenario. The swim is going to be this pace. Um, the swim is the hardest, uh, cause when you're swimming along, unlike your bike or your run, like you can't, unless I want to stop and look at my watch swimming, I can't actually, I have no idea how fast I'm swimming. I can only gauge it off of how I feel. Um, and as somebody who is a, uh, comes from a swimming background, I kind of have to keep in mind that it's not a swimming race that. I have to do these other things afterwards. So I kind of have to, I personally have to hold back a little bit in the swim, knowing that the things I'm not as good at are still coming up. Um, I also put in my race plan, my my plan for my nutrition throughout the event. Um, like when I'm going to eat, when I'm going to drink, what I'm eating and drinking. Um, and I try to stick to that plan. That helps somewhat with the mental side of things too, because it kind of gives me something to do like, Oh, it's, 20 minutes into the bike, I have to eat this or drink this. Uh, so that's nice from like a mental standpoint. Um, on the bike, I tend to use power um, more than miles per hour. Um, I, I luck out, I have a power meter on my bike so I can tell at any point what time, what power I'm riding at. Um, so I usually have like a goal um, percentage of my FTP, which is your functional threshold power um, that I wanna maintain. Um, and sometimes, that works out to a faster mile per hour pace than I thought. And sometimes it doesn't, it kind of depends on conditions. If it's super windy and I've got a super headwind that I'm riding into, I might be riding at my 80% of my FTP and be going 12 miles an hour. So, <laughs> well, but, yeah, it's great. Um, but I try not to let that phase. So I try not to spend too much time paying attention to the my miles per hour. Um, and then on the run, um, I use a run walk uh, method and so I have a specific time that I run and a specific time that I walk and I just kind of keep checking through that and then 
because the run is the hardest part for me physically and mentally, um, that run walk allows me to kind of uh, put it in a box. So the box is the run walk interval. And I don't think about anything past that box. I do the one box and then I do the next box and then I just keep going until I cross the finish line. So <laughs> how many people have you seen like you've started the run, they like pass you and they're like, Hey, great job. You're doing awesome. And then you're just like, okay. And then all of a sudden you're just like staying consistent and lo and behold, you know, your cheerleader at the beginning of the race, which probably wasn't meant in any sort of condescending fashion, no. but I'm sure at that point, everybody takes it extremely condescending. Yeah. How many times have you just found yourself like catching up to those people or surpassing them? Uh, uh, quite a few times, actually. It happens on the bike, and then it also happens um, on the run. Um, being a faster swimmer, I'm not a fast swimmer necessarily compared to like swimmers, but I'm a pretty fast triathlete swimmer. Um, so I'm usually one of the first people out of the water. So I'm used to just being like passed on the bike, pass, pass, pass. And then without fail, although some of those people that I have passed me, eventually I end up passing later down the road because they like got on their bike, you know, gotta uh, make up time. they're like, I'm going to crush this bike ride. Um, and it's the same on the run. Um, they kind of forget that it isn't just a, a short little run around the park it's a it's a it's a big distance and um you've done a bunch of other stuff already yeah so awesome so i wanted to uh maybe highlight you know injuries are something that happens in in all sports right it's it's unavoidable and and sometimes you can pinpoint exactly <laughs> why and sometimes you can't but you recently have uh kind of worked yourself through a little hip injury. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of share your, your progress on that? Sure. Um, so I first would like to say that I did not need to have my hip replaced because I do Ironman. <laughs> um, I had a, a malformation of my acetabulum, which impinged the range of motion on my left hip. Um, and because I do endurance sports, I just happened to wear it down sooner than I would have if yeah, this was going to be the outcome. Regardless. It was going to be the outcome regardless. If you were going to um, a competitive piano player, what happened? Yeah, it just happened sooner than than it would for most people. Um, and so I had to have a total hip replacement in October of 2019. Um, and I would say because of my endurance sports background, um, I feel like I have made better progress than a lot of other people. Um, who've had their hips replaced. Um, and so it's coming along really well. I've been cleared to do everything except running. So currently I'm just walking. Um, but I ride my bike. I'm currently not swimming because of the quarantine. But <laughs> uh, I, can, I can basically do everything. Strength training, biking, swimming, um, and then walking. And it's, it's going really well. I have to remind myself that it hasn't even been six months since my surgery um, and that I have made really good progress, uh, but it can be frustrating at times. I definitely do a lot of single leg strength work right now um, and it can be frustrating when I um, am doing stuff on my left leg that it isn't, I don't have the same stability, I don't have the same strength as I do on my right leg, but then again, I have to remind myself that 
I did have my hip replaced. So, um, yeah, it's going really well. And, um, I think for me, the, the mental side is basically kind of like a big race. You know, I just kind of take each, each kind of new thing as it comes and work within my capacity at that particular moment in time and then move forward. Yeah, I think you said something earlier um, when we started talking that you just, regardless, you have this inability to not stop. And I think having watched your rehab, you know, I would agree that like, regardless of the hurdles that came up or things like that, you just, you weren't going to stop. And so kudos to you. Uh, So what, you know, like, I think this is important because a lot of times gear is one of those things you see with endurance athletes, like I've in my past witnessed, like we're getting ready for strength training and we're getting ready, got my, my elbow brace. I got to put my knee sleeves on, you know, double knee brace, maybe an ankle brace too. And then, you know, I got these fancy shoes. And at what point in time do you think it's all of that really just kind of perpetuates the problem rather and kind of puts band-aids over things rather than really addresses the solution? Do you feel like that is something for people if they're looking for long term, um, participation they they need to be realistic with where they're at uh yes i would say the the biggest mistake i think most endurance athletes make as far as like as far as like injury goes is that they let things go for too long so it's not uncommon and this is in true in any sport weightlifting crossfit whatever um there'll be days where like you're like oh man like my shoulder kind of like i did something weird and you know you'll you'll spend a couple days where it is kind of irritating and then it goes away cool but there'll be people who are like oh yeah that shoulder how long has that been bugging you oh i don't even know like it's been like months and like they haven't done anything to like try to figure out like what the underlying problem is like obviously something that you're doing is continually irritating your shoulder, your knee, your hip, whatever it is. And at some point you have to say, okay, like, obviously this isn't working. There's an underlying issue here that I need to look at. And I think a lot of endurance athletes don't want to do this. And I'm, I'm a culprit of this. I probably waited about a year too long to find out that my hip needed to be replaced. It wasn't that like I found out it needed to be replaced and then I didn't. I didn't want to go and find out. I didn't want to know the answer. So if I didn't go get an MRI, I would be fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's painful, but it's fine. Um, And I think a lot of endurance athletes don't want to take the time to do that because then they can't train. Yeah. Well, I think that's important to note because it's almost like, you know, all movement, we're fighting gravity, right? And it's, you know, as we talk about um, in coaching often at Kingfield, that, you know, progress is really built on the consistency of moving in the correct shapes. And that if you don't understand the correct shapes that you're moving in, all you're doing is increasing your limiter, which is only going to perpetuate your injuries. And you're just going to be in this, it's not going to get better. And so it's almost, you know, as hard as it is, as it is for people to hear, it's almost better for them to just accept the outcome, fix the solution, you know, fix the problem, find what the solution is, maybe take a year off, you know, maybe not try to race and and then PR everything year after year so that they can continue to do this for a longer period of time. Because at the end of the day, those distances aren't getting any shorter. They're the same. 
but you only have one body. So it's, you know, really how you choose to, to utilize it. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that most people have the hardest time with is understanding that like, if, if triathlon is a sport that you love and you want to continue to do it until you're old, right. Um, a year taking a year off to fix a physical issue is like nothing. Like totally. the blip in the radar of, you know, I've been, I did my first race in 1999. So, yeah. um, you know, one year isn't going to be, it means like nothing. Right. To then to say that like, now I can do all the things that I love doing and I'm not in pain. Like that's a huge thing. And I, I think people aren't quite willing to do that. So they wear so, the braces or the whatever to try to just kind of, Buy the lighter bike to see if yeah, that makes yeah, them go faster. Yeah. Right? Five ounces lighter. That's right. So if somebody wanted to, they're interested, they're listening to this and they're like, they've been on the fence with maybe like starting, uh, you know, participating in endurance sports or really completing a triathlon or doing something like, how would you recommend someone kind of like engage with, you know, run, bike, swim, or, you know, maybe pick up endurance sports? Like what, what do you think is the best route? Like, if you had to go back and do it all over again, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I would say um, talk to some people who've done one of the event that you're looking at, whatever event it is, talk to somebody who's done it um, and kind of ask all your questions. Um, like most people want to know like what kind of gear they need, those kind of things, uh, what kind of training is involved. Uh, find a club. Um, you know, there's a lot of, triathlon clubs around that offer um, the opportunity for you to like try out swimming, biking, running in, not in an actual event. Right. Um, and then I would say your first, first event, don't go all in, don't buy the brand new bike don't, unless you don't actually own a bike and you were going to buy a bike anyway, but like, don't buy some fancy bike and some crazy, you know, like use the stuff you have, try out a short fun sprint distance that's in your city to see if you even like it. People think like, Oh, I'm going to totally do an Ironman. And it's like, well, you haven't done a sprint yet. Maybe try that out and see if you even like, because if you don't like swimming, biking, running in a sprint, you're probably not going to like it <laughs> in an all day event. Yeah. It's like the idea of like, don't sign up for a marathon as your first race, yeah. you know, run 5k. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Leah, if people wanted to find you in your club and maybe inquire about coaching, how could they find you? Uh, so North Star Triathlon and Fitness is the name of my triathlon club. Um, and we are a uh, all levels welcome kind of club. Most of our people come to us to work for swimming, work on swimming. Um, so that's NorthStarTriathlonAndFitness.com. Uh, you can email me at Kingfield if you're a Kingfield person and you want to just reach out through Kingfield, that's fine. Uh, Whenever we get back to the gym, if you just want to pull me to the side and ask me some questions, that's totally fine too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for, you know, chatting with us today yeah. and kind of like um, giving us a little insight. Cause I think that that's helpful. Cause I, you know, I think people always have these, and I've been saying this now, especially since people are supposed to be inside, they have these like primal urges to run. Right. But like yeah. all of a sudden, like, how do you do that? So you can continue to repeat that stuff. So Leah, thank you so much. And uh, thank you. 
we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much.